80% of your energy has to go into revenue generation. If you're struggling in your business, 80% of your energy has to go into revenue generation. It is amazing to me how many times I, I watch people, you know, twiddle their thumbs or, you know, they, they pontificate, they think, you know, they spend their whole time. It's like sell, figure out how to sell your product. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Mike McFall is the co-founder and co-CEO of Big B Coffee. It's the third largest coffee franchise in the United States with over 300 locations. Within the company, Mike has worked in every position from barista to co-CEO since 1996. He's also the author of Grind, a book for founders and entrepreneurs to elevate their business strategies. Mike shares more about his experience at Big B Coffee, building the foundation of a business and the importance of patience with results. I wanted to interview Mike because I love coffee. And who else or who better to talk to about that than Mike McFall? I started with and by asking where he grew up and who were the influences or were there any influences that encouraged him to become an entrepreneur? I look back on my my childhood and uh, one of the things that I've realized now looking back on it was that I was just surrounded by entrepreneurs and I didn't even really know what an entrepreneur was. It wasn't like something you did uh, when I was a kid, but I had, you know, my best friend's mom started a, a brilliant company here in Detroit. She went on to become EY's Entrepreneur of the Year here from Michigan, that kind of thing. Another friend of mine's dad was was super successful, you know, the kind of successful with like two 9-11s in the barn and, you know, airplanes and stuff like that. But and I didn't, I grew up very middle class. I mean, this was, and, and but entrepreneurship was just all around me. And, and, I, and I didn't even know that that's what it was. It was just how you kind of survived in the world. It's how you did the world, right? You didn't go get a job and show up to work and work nine to five. You you started something, you created something. My dad was a, was an entrepreneur. I mean, I watched that my, you know, throughout my basically intermediate school and in high school, right? So entrepreneurship was everywhere. Yeah. And then the other the other big thing I would I would say that I happened to me when I was young was when I was 15, my mom presented me this opportunity to sail around the world on a square rig tall ship. And it was just something she heard like on NPR or something, right? And she brought it to me and, and she had ordered the brochure and, and I was, you know, I was laying on the couch being lazy one day and she threw it at me and she said, Hey, we talked about this. Do you want to do it or not? If, if not, I'll just throw this brochure away for whatever reason. I, you know, I got off the couch and I got, went and sat at the dining room table and filled this thing out and mailed it in. Next thing you know, I was getting on a boat to sail, uh, sail around the world. And, and, you know, that experience right there really taught me that you can take on big things. And, and you can do, you can do crazy. And I, I just, I gained a whole bunch of confidence from that, but also this sense of adventure and spirit that life is meant to be a little crazy. My life's meant to be fun. My life's meant to be, let's get out there and do stuff. You know, and my parents really instilled that in me. Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, I want to get into that, but especially sailing around the world at, at, at 15 sounds just incredible having kids right now at that age. I'm sure they would love to leave my house and go do that, but I'm not giving them that opportunity. But in any case, watching your father and 
he was an entrepreneur, as you said. What did he do and what did you learn specifically from him? Well, I watched him start this manufacturing company from nothing. He actually, you know, he designed, he's a mechanical engineer and he designed a machine that could reduce the risk tolerances on, a, on an automotive part. And so when he did that, all of a sudden he started to get all the business for, for that particular genre of parts. And it was, was amazing to watch him work. I mean, he took a, it was a machine for, uh, that was involved in manufacturing shoes. Hmm. And then somehow he adapted that machine to work for this particular part. And then I, I just watched him grow that business. And, and ultimately, you know, he exited it, I guess, maybe a decade later at about the right time, not with, uh, not with extraordinary wealth at all, just comfortable. My mom was a professor at Michigan State University. So, you know, they had a really a great life. But the other thing I remember is it wasn't uncommon to wake up in the middle of the night and the lights were on downstairs. And if you went down and you poked your head around the, the corner, he was sitting in the dining room working. <laughs> and that's, that, that's not, that wasn't an uncommon experience uh, when I was a kid. And it just was life, right? It just was, the, you did what you had to do. And when you, you see that at a young age, which, which is that it's on you. There's no one to blame. There's no excuses. You either make it happen or you don't. That's a really powerful lesson. Yeah, I similar to you. I I saw my father. He was in the uh, trimming like uh, braid business in the garment center here in New York. But I just saw him totally old school. He's passed away, so his business started back in the fifties or when sixties. And every day I watched him just get up, go to work, even when he was sick. Like it was, I never saw him take a sick day. I think that's why I go to a lot of therapy now, but, but learning from him and seeing that was really incredible. And it, it sounds like your father coming down there, seeing the lights on was really something that, that stuck with you. And I just want to ask you also about that, that trip around the world. First, how are you able to do that as a student? And secondly, what is it that you still carry with you today that has helped you grow Big B into the third largest coffee uh, franchise? What is it that you took from that? Well, one, it was a, it was a process I had to go through. And so I had to go to the school board and I had to present this thing and, you know, they had to approve it to be my junior year of, of high school. And so, uh, and then when I came home, there was, they had, uh, they wanted me to, they had criteria. They wanted me to go speak at all the, the elementary schools and middle schools and so on and tell my story. And, and so it, it, it was a bit of a process, but, and I learned some accountability around that. And I also really just, I learned that like when I came home now, when I look back on it, it nothing had changed, but I had. Hmm. And so, so people are afraid to, to maybe leave because they have friends or they have, they're afraid to go do something interesting or, or cool that might take a year. But when I came back, nothing had changed, but I had grown a ton, right? And so that was a real valuable lesson for me. Like, don't get stuck in today, right? <laughs> Always be thinking about what, what tomorrow can look like. And so, and then, you know, the lessons, the main lesson I brought from that is I saw so many different places that really the thing that I, that I took from that is that everyone around the world, like we're all doing the same thing. We really are. Well, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to find contentment, happiness. We're trying to feed our kids. Uh, we're trying to build a better life for our kids than we have for ourselves. You know, it, it is the same thing, no matter where you go in the world, everybody's 
up to it. There's an Arthur Miller quote, everybody's searching for the right way to live so the world can be called a home. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what's going on all over the world. And so, you know, it doesn't matter if you're worth $100 million living in New York City, you're probably still trying to figure out how to make the world feel like a home. Or if you're a farmer in, in West Africa growing coffee, you're, you're probably searching for a way to live so that the world can be called a home. Yeah, I, I love how you mentioned that because I do believe in on this show interviewing extremely successful people like yourselves. And we've had everyone from all different levels of entrepreneurship, billion people who built billion dollar businesses. And I really do believe it at the end of the day, regardless. And and when I talk to them and and speak with them, it comes down to those things that really brings happiness or what people want. And, you know, that's that sense of community, obviously family, health. Those are the real important things. And obviously as a, a life of an entrepreneur can sometimes be a complete roller coaster with ups and downs. And I want to ask you and talk to you with Big B, you started as the first shop, right? One shop and you were a barista. And how did the whole idea concept come together? Sure. Right. And so I'm, I'm, my title today is co-CEO and co-founder, although I did not, I did not found the first store. And so my business partner, Bob Fish, he started the very first store of ours in East Lansing. And, and I walked in there, I was at the uh, university in East Lansing, working on a very specific research project with a colleague of my mom's. And I just went around to all the coffee shops in East Lansing and applied because the research position was only 20 hours a week. I walked into Bigby, I applied, got the job, started working 6 a.m. till 2 p.m. at the coffee shop. I'd walk over to my office at the university. I'd work on that project from 2.30 till 6.30 and then I'd go home. And I did that for four or five months. And, and then my, my partner, Bob, who I worked for at that time, who I didn't know because he worked the closing shift at the store. So he worked 3 p.m. till midnight. And so I didn't know him. I, I mean, I'd seen him a couple of times, but he was opening a second store and he was interested in, in hiring a manager for that second store. I wasn't interested. I was on my way back to graduate school. That was kind of the path I was on. So we sat down, interview style type meeting in, this, in one of the tables in our coffee shop. And it was one of those beautiful, beautiful spring days, you know, where you can actually smell spring for the first time. Mm-hmm. And we got up and we just went for a walk and we went for a four hour walk around East Lansing. We came back, um, remember standing behind the store. It's uh, it's torn down now, that store, unfortunately, but we stood behind the store, we shook hands and we agreed to become business partners. And that the formation of that company took us until June of 1998. That would have been March of 1997. And so it took us 15 months to actually form that company. I became the assistant manager of store one at that day. And then I took over as general manager. I started the second store as a general manager. And then when we formed uh, Global Orange Development, that's the franchise company for Big B Coffee. When I formed that, when we formed that together, that became the company that we used to franchise the business. And so that business, uh, Global Orange Development, the franchise or Big B Coffee, that's the company that I co-founded with my partner, Bob Fish. And what was it when you sat down with Bob and then go for this walk for several hours? What was it that he was saying and what was the vision that you obviously bought into? Well, yeah, I wish I, I, wish I could I had a recording of that four-hour walk. <laughs> but what I surmise today that, that that walk was about, frankly, was that 
you know, he was very, very good at restauranting, right? So he had been a restaurateur in advance of starting the coffee shop. And so what he did in the coffee industry, and it's still one of our most powerful competitive advantages in the world is that, that he ran high volume kitchens. And so he had that mentality and he brought that mentality to the coffee shop industry per se. I also didn't take a rocket science scientist to figure out that coffee was going to be a thing in 1997. <laughs> it's one of the things I always tell people, a huge part of success is knowing what is an opportunity and what isn't an opportunity. And so I had been in the business long enough. I mean, I've been there five months. I mean, I, I saw lines to the door. I saw enormous activity in the in this retail store. I started to pay attention to the coffee industry. So, so I was tweaked up a little bit around coffee, right? I was paying attention. I wasn't just a barista in the store. I mean, I was, and then pretty quickly, I realized that Bob was doing something very different in the coffee shop itself, running it. And then when we got together, our backgrounds are pretty similar, meaning he didn't do it conventionally either. Right. So he was all over, you know, he lived in Europe. He lived back in the United States uh, as a kid. He took him nine years to get through college because his dad in his first semester of college, his dad wanted to see his report card and he said no. And so his dad said, well, if I can't see a report card, I'm not going to pay for college. And he said, fine, I'll pay for it myself. And so, you know, he went and took him nine years to get through school. And so, you know, he was, he just had a very unconventional background. And then it was in my mind was a bit unconventional too. Right. So I think we, we shared that, but then we also just shared this ambition and the interest in doing something significant. Where do you think for you, that ambition comes from? I was, so, I was very close to success as a kid, meaning I didn't live in a privileged situation. I was, I mean, I don't want to, I mean, I was very privileged for, for most people in the world. Right. But I, what I'm saying is I didn't, I didn't come out of wealth. Right. But my parents both, you know, very well educated, very smart, uh, very loving, very supportive. Right. Like, like they were very, very good to me. And, uh, and so I, when I say I didn't come out of privileged background, I'm just I'm simply talking about from a, from a wealth perspective. I didn't, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. That's, that's what I'm saying. And, and, but I also was like, on the cusp of seeing success around me. And, and I think that I wanted it really, I wanted to know what that would feel like, whether, you know, at first it was going to be in athletics and that was going to be my, I mean, I was going to be a successful athlete that didn't pan out. I, and I tell people all the time, I played at a high enough level to know how good I wasn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Like when you see people that are really good at it, you, yeah. you realize what sport did you play? I was, a, I played hockey and then okay. I played golf. Yeah. So just enough to know that. And so I, I think that that seeing it right there around me and having some pretty influential people in my life who were performing at extremely high levels, I think I started to think that it was possible yeah. because they weren't different than me. They, you know, they and so uh, and so that I, I would say that was it. Yeah, I, I love that. You just said they weren't different than you. And I love that, especially after a few hundred episodes of this podcast, I've realized it comes down to when I talk to people who are entrepreneurs, obviously it comes down to that drive, really the ability to pick yourself off the mat too when negative things happen. And sometimes a little luck, sometimes a little opportunity, but it's really that ambition and the ability to pick yourself off the mat. And when you started Big B and signed up 
with Bob early on, were there those times you maybe thought, okay, maybe this might not work or maybe, maybe I made the wrong choice. There were hard times. Let me just say that there were times that, you know, we really had to work. We really had to buckle down that, but fail. I mean, I, I don't know how to articulate this exactly, but failure just was not going to be the end of my story. There was no way. Right. So I was never, I mean, and, and it's just this, it was just kind of a, a bullheaded approach to it and just continuing to, to move forward and no matter what it, what it takes. And so I think that, I don't know, I, I don't understand when people give up. I just don't understand. And there are times when you have to give up. I, I get that, you know, but there, we were, just, we just weren't going to, <laughs> we just weren't going to, and we're not going to like, like the amazing thing about my partner and I is that like, here we are 27 years in, we're going to do over 300 million at re- retail uh, in coffee and cups of coffee sold quite successful as a, as a, as a company, you know, and we both feel like we're just getting started. And it's always been that way. You know, when we had 10 stores, when we had 20 stores, when we had hundred stores, when we had 200, we, we just always feel like to, like we're just, we're just getting started right now with the good stuff. Does it also feel for you, even at this level of success is the, the nerves there, the, the ideas or the, you know, every entrepreneur kind of one step away from something happening and we can get into COVID. I'd love to talk to you, but do you still carry that with you now, even though if people look at it from the outside or you look at it like you've really been successful? Well, uh, that's an, that's an interesting way to phrase that question. So have we been successful? Sure. I, yeah, I think I can, I can say that we have. How I frame it though, is that today, what we've built today is a foundation for tomorrow. And so I, maybe that's the mentality that keeps us going, right? Is, is that I almost feel this sense of responsibility today because there's such a great foundation that we've built. Like there's almost a sense of obligation to see what it can happen and to see where it can go tomorrow because of, of what we've built today. And so, but the, the arc is really, I mean, I think it's really fascinating. And I just, I'm coming out with a, my second book in June which talks about this transition, which is, you know, the entrepreneur has to go from being a bootstrapping entrepreneur, which is one very distinct sort of set of behaviors and approach, right? So, so you have to be a bootstrapping entrepreneur. You have to build it up. You have to generate cash flow. Then, then you have to move into management and leadership, right? Which is, so now you're, you, there's a whole really distinct set of skills that that takes, right? To grow into an effective leader of, of an organization. But then there's even the more challenging transition, which is from a hard leader and leader of an organization and showing up to work every day and leading people to then becoming irrelevant in your organization. And what I mean by that is the transition from the leader, this, the, the hardcore you know, CEO of the business to transitioning responsibilities of running the business to a team of professionals that can really truly run the business effectively day in and day out. That transition right there, a lot of people talk about how difficult it is to be a successful entrepreneur. And then it's, you know, how difficult it is to become a leader. Well, I'll tell you in my, my experience and I'm going through it right now, the transition from leader to irrelevant is might be the hardest of all three. <laughs> right. Why, why is that so hard for you right now? Well, it's hard not to be involved. It's hard not to 
show up to meetings and have input. It's hard to not have your phone ring 25 times a day. And so I'll go, I'll go days and days without anybody from the company touching base with me right now. Right. And that's, that's hard for people because we built it, Bob and I built this thing. And, and so we, and then to go from, from that, and, and I've seen a lot of people try, try this. Most just sell, like most, most entrepreneurs at this stage, just sell, right? Because this transition is, is very awkward. But I think the thing that we're doing is, is we're, we're transitioning into other things that we love to do that complement the business. It's not day-to-day management of the business, but it, it's about, it's about complementing the business. So I'm off into writing and teaching. That's, that's my passion today. My business partner is going around the world, building farm direct relationships. So we're starting to buy our beans directly from farmers around the world. And so he loves travel. He, you know, he loves that part of it. Uh, he loves building these relationships. So that's how we're dealing with it. Yeah. When, when you look at Big B and going from that handshake and partnership and turning it into a franchise and then growing it, why did you decide to make it a franchise? No, we didn't have any capital. We didn't have any capital. So, it, you know, it, it, that we, you know, a franchise system to convince people to come on board, make the investment, build the store, and then they pay you a royalty. So there's no capital needed. Uh, and so what, what we had to do is we had to bring people on board. We had to make sure that they were successful, ensure their success. Because, you know, if in a franchise, if the retail unit's not successful, there's no future for the franchise. So, so we had to make them successful. We had to do everything in our power to do that. Uh, and that's, that's why we chose it. We just didn't have the money. I went out and tried to raise money back in the day to build stores and like, and it's fun now. Cause I see some of the people that I went to ask. <laughs> that mu- that's such, must be such a great feeling. Hey, well, you know, it is, you know I, it's, it's, we, we laugh about entrepreneur. it now. Yeah. We laugh yeah. about it now. Right. But, uh, so that, that was we wanted to grow and we wanted to grow the brand. And so the a franchise and, you know, franchising really meets up with Bob's and my particular approach to the world and mentality. We're both teachers. We're both coaches. We're both mentors. And that's really what a franchise is, right? It's taking somebody and mentoring them, coaching them into a, your business model and, and turn, making them successful. Do you think because of your backgrounds and turning it into a franchise, you were really successful as teachers, as people who wanted to really like help people learn. And obviously that's when you have franchise, these these are the people you have to, they're like students, right? And even though they're owners, but do you think that played a major role in the success of the franchise model? Well, it's interesting you pick up on that because that's astute because I think that successful franchisors are people who you just, you just described successful franchisors are teachers. They're people that are, are truly committed to teaching the other, the franchise owner, the, how to, you know, how to be successful in this business, right. In this particular business. So, and I, I I've always said that, right. It, it is a, you have to deeply care about the success of others to be successful as a franchisor and franchising has gotten a little bit of a bum rap. I think it's a really, really healthy business model and probably the biggest the biggest benefit to being inside of a franchise is you have a community of people who are doing the same thing you're doing day in and day out, who have a vested interest in your success. And no one talks about that in franchising, right? But as a, as a franchise owner inside of a system, inside of Bigby, you have over 200 other franchise owners and every one of them has a vested interest in your success. No one inside of Bigby Coffee wants to see a Bigby Coffee open and close because it, it depletes the value of their 
investment, right? So in the, if these 200 people who everybody comes to a franchise with significant expertise in something, right? And so think of the power of that, right? So, so to me, it is one of the least talked about and one of the most powerful parts of a franchise system and what makes franchises so successful. Yeah, you know, and I, I love it because it goes back to what you said, I think at the beginning of the episode where what people really want and it's community, right? So you become part of this community. And then at the same time, you know, it's great for those entrepreneurs who a lot of people have trouble, as we know, taking a dive off the diving board. And it almost gives you a little bit of a, a comfort, a cushion, right? I would imagine. Yeah. And very practically speaking, if you want to get out of the business, you have a built-in network of buyers. So it's the rare circumstance that a store goes up for sale that doesn't get sold because there's other franchise owners that are willing to step in and buy it. Yeah, that's a great point. I want what and how did the business survive COVID? Well, we there was one moment and one moment that I attribute it to, and that is when our governor came out and she was she defined what essential businesses were and it was grocery pharmacy you know whatever it was and then at the very end the last words were non-alcoholic beverage retail and so that was coffee shops and so we were we were allowed to stay open and we were encouraged to stay open and when i say encouraged to stay open i think it was in many ways it was it was very very smart because people used coffee shops at that point as a bit of a just a sense of normal so yeah you had to go out you had to go to your grocery store and it was depressing right like we all remember that moment scary as hell scary 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 you know to be out in the world but you know what if you could just spin through your local coffee shop and go through the drive-thru and get yourself a latte all of a sudden you had like 10 minutes of just kind of normal right and so that and then we i mean we really worked hard before anybody else had plexiglass up. One of our franchise owners went to Home Depot and designed this whole plexiglass mechanism to go around the cash register to make her employees feel safe. And then and then the next day she was showing us how she did it uh, on Zoom with the whole system. And then the day after that, there were 70% of our stores had plexiglass up, right? So, so just the, and that's what I'm talking about, the collective sort of genius of a franchise, right? Like that's a yeah. really good example of that. And so, and we just, franchise owner cares deeply about their employees. And one of the biggest factors in being able to run a business at that point was that your employees felt safe showing up. And so, you know, we have, we have these, we have franchise owners that that care deeply about their people. They were going to make sure that their employees felt safe and that the customer would feel safe too. And we had a really scary month. Uh, It would have been, so COVID really hit mid-March of 2020. April was a tough month. Uh, a really tough month. I mean, we were down 40%. And, you know, but in comparison to a lot of food service applications, that that was that wasn't too bad. Uh, but then Mother's Day, I think it was May 9th of 2020, we crossed over and sales just started coming back. And May 9th, we crossed over into positive year-over-year growth. Hmm. And just from from that point forward, it just it just rocketed. And by the fall, we were seeing 30% year-over-year increases. And and it, I think it was because we did such an effective job at running the retail stores in that moment in time that, and, and there's other factors, but it was, it was truly remarkable. Yeah. 
I love how you said it, that sense of normalcy and getting your cup of coffee. And we hear now so much and saw so much about the mental health issues of what COVID caused and just being able to have that as part of your routine. Someone might say is it, it's, essential, it, it's completely essential, probably even more essential than so many other things that they consider when you think about it, especially now as we look back in terms of the the toll it took on people mentally. And, you know, before I let you go, I I do want to ask, having been in this business for so long, having seen so many different players come into the market, I mean, I live here in New York City and there's Bluestone and Joe's and Duncan and I mean, you name it, it seems like to me, obviously you were ahead of your time, but it seems like to me, people are still really looking at this as an opportunity. Where do you see the coffee business going? Well, I think there's a couple of things that are going to be coming at us in the next 10 years, 15 years. And one is that it's not coffee that we're selling. Mm-hmm. It's energy. Okay, it's, the, the product is energy. It's not coffee. And so we'll be transitioning more into an energy beverage retailer than necessarily. A, coffee will still be a part of it, but coffee is going to become less significant of, of a revenue stream in our business. It, it'll never go away, right? But And then I think that the other thing that we have that's really important is the sense of community that, that you can walk into a coffee shop and you can sit down and especially with so much of our world going remote, like who would have thought, who would have thought that we would be living the way we're living right now? Five years ago, I mean, nobody would have thought that this. So, but you know, you can only spend so much time in your, in your home or your apartment working on Zoom. You got to get out. You got to go sit somewhere. You got to be around people. And so that's, uh, it's always been a thing in coffee, which is called third space. So you, have, you used to have your home, your office and your coffee shop. Now it's like pretty much your home and your coffee shop for a lot of people. And so I really, I really, I really like that. The, the other, the final piece is that there's a, there's still huge, huge swaths of America that don't have specialty coffee available to them. In, in such a way, like you live in New York City. I mean, you, you have 20 brands around you that you can walk to. I mean, I live in Ann Arbor, you know, similar, right? But still, you know, huge parts of the, of the marketplace out there that are pining to get our, our product. Yeah, it's, I'm probably the opposite of everyone. I always went and bought my coffee. You're not going to like to hear this, but I always went and bought my coffee. And then you know, it wasn't even a question. I'm, I'm the, I can't even make coffee. I learned how to make it. And now it is, as my wife will probably attest, the one thing I know how to do. And I pour myself <laughs> a cup in the morning and it's uh, lovely, right? It, it's just sit there yeah. and I'll meditate or just journal and having that, that coffee. But I want to ask you lastly, before we let you go, in terms of tips, if you were yourself, 20 some odd years ago, and you were thinking about a business opportunity today and what you would need, what would you tell people to focus on? Well, execution. So this is how I, this is how I summarize. You have to be really, really impatient with execution. 
meaning you've got to be very good at it. You have to iterate constantly and you have to always be working on improving your product and fitting your product in a more powerful way into the marketplace. Super impatient with execution, but very patient with results. In my life, 27 years in, when we do things, it's always three to five years before we see results. And, and I, Gary Vee had this, this brilliant, brilliant answer on a podcast that I just absolutely loved. He's like, speed is the devil. I don't know if you've seen that, but if you, get, if you Google Gary Vee and speed is the devil, it'll, it'll come up. And, it, and he's like, we have to be patient with results. Things don't, everybody wants it to happen quickly. Of course we do, right? But it doesn't work that way. And, and if it does, I call it lightning in a bottle, right? It's lightning in a bottle. It happened. Good for you that you were able to start a business and have it uh, go to market. And three years later, you're worth $50 million. That's lightning in a bottle, right? And so impatient with execution, always be iterating and, and, and working hard to improve your product in the marketplace and then be patient with results. How do you... When you say that and, and the patience with results and most entrepreneurs, businesses, they start and we know the numbers, how many go out or people leave, but the ones that are just surviving or like you said, three to five years, how or what would you tell those people in that position that mentally to themselves or what what should they tell themselves how should they operate so they can understand like hey or just not walk away yeah in my my book grind which was my first book it's the it's the red one right here that one the title of chapter two is sell more shit 80 percent of your energy has to go into revenue generation if you're struggling in your business, 80% of your energy has to go into revenue generation. It is amazing to me how many times I, I watch people twiddle their thumbs or they, they pontificate, they think, you know, they spend their whole time. It's like sell, figure out how to sell your product. And if you can't figure that out, there is no business. And so if you're struggling, spend 80% of your day working on selling more. I was a franchise salesman for 15 years. 15 years, Robert, I, 15 years. And so, and that's all I did every single day is I showed up and I sold franchises. And, and yeah, today, co-CEO of this company and so on, it's a, it's a little bit uh, sexy and glamorous. It wasn't sexy and glamorous for 15 years. Yeah. 15 years, right? So, and I sold and I sold and I sold and I, and I, and I, that's what I did. And so that is always my answer is be impatient with execution and iteration and then sell. And how are you patient in those times, because we know in sales and with anything, there's ups, there's downs, there's slumps, right? Most salespeople, it's like, that's the roller coaster. Oh my God, we just sold, we're going to blow up. We haven't sold a new franchise in six weeks. Disaster. How did you, how did well, you handle we, that? We would really, we would need a whole nother, <laughs> a whole nother hour because this, the, I also worked on a book with some people in my company about visioning. And, and it's this great one right there. It's called the Moonshot Guidebook. And that visioning to me is what a lot, attaching to a future reality, emotionally committing to a future reality that you have created for yourself is what gives you the power and the strength to get through the things that are in your way today in order to get to that tomorrow that you've designed. And I, I mean, I just, again, I, I need an hour to unfold that sentence for you, but it's visioning to me, right? It's, it is, that's what gets you through 
the shitty stuff that happens today and tomorrow, right? Yeah, no, that that's it. And with all the books you've written, and I guess you became that teacher as well, right. and <laughs> yeah, became the entrepreneur. And it sounds like you're really enjoying that part of your life right now, which is which is great to see. Because going back again to what you said at the beginning, what do we all want? Whether you have a dollar to your name or ten billion dollars, it's really the the same thing. And it sounds like within your life right now, you're really doing the the thing that you love. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, listen, Mike, best to you. Thanks for coming on How Success Happens. I uh, really enjoyed it. I will break when I see a big B. I, I'm not going to, I'm going to get one. I promise I won't make my own at home. So in any <laughs> case, uh, appreciate your time today. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.